0: Ooh, welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. Uh, I hadn't shaved my head for almost like a month and a half, maybe because Joanne's mom was out and her niece was out, and my even though I'm bald, it grows on the side, and my hair was getting very unruly, and I was starting to look like Larry from the Three Stooges. And the reason I bring this up is because, well, we're going to talk about my guest and his hair, but I have two friends who are I'm trying to start a hair battle with, And one is my friend Phil Varone, who's in Saigon Kick and Skid Row, and he says he has the best hair. And I have another friend, Rich Redman, who's the drummer for Jason Aldean, and he crashed here a few weeks ago, and he gets up, and we were out the night before at a dinner party, and me and Joanne are looking at him, and we're going, oh my God, his hair is amazing. And I was thinking about it, I I wanted to start a hair war with these two guys, but the problem is this, my guest today... His hair is better than both of them. And what, what's amazing is this guy, I want to say he wears a lot of hats in the entertainment business. And, and that would piss me off if he wore a hat because of his hair. But I got to tell you, I guess he's he's an accomplished actor of TV, movie, and he's been on Broadway. He's a um, writer, producer, director. And above all that, he's a best-selling singer. And my guest is Michael Damien. How you doing, Michael? Oh, uh, that was, well,
1: thank you for that. Super kind introduction, Steve. You're awesome. Well, Appreciate it. I,
0: I was looking at you, like I'm. I'm looking, you know, because I always do my research, and I'm, <laughs> I'm looking, and it's one of those things, you know. I love, I love guests that have a lot going on, and I always sit there. Like I saw your bio, and it's like, I mean, you've you've been in this business your whole life. I mean, you started playing piano when you were six. Uh yeah, that
1: that was, uh, yeah, around five or six. My mom uh, was a concert is a concert pianist and she taught all nine of us music at a very young age. And, uh, everybody started from piano and then every, and then all my six sisters and two brothers then went on to do their own thing. Like for instance, you know, uh, I, I also studied, uh, vibes and uh, trombone and clarinet. And, uh, so I was, you know, I tried to, I played different instruments, my sister's guitar, bass, trumpet, trombone, sax, uh, you know, my brother, Tom plays drums. So, uh, we all, you know, we all just, you know, fell madly in love with music at a very young age. And so, the house was incredibly loud. If you can imagine, nine musicians practicing, you know, after school.
0: I was going to say that. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. You know, I always say it's funny because in my neighborhood, I grew up in New Jersey, and we had one house that had a family that size. It was the cool Hands. And I always, there was seven boys and then at the bottom, two girls. And I always felt bad for those girls who had to eventually date because they would have to get the approval of seven brothers. Now, I mean, it's crazy. Now, For where were you in the scheme of, of children?
1: Well, I was number, uh, number eight. Okay. I am number eight. <laughs> I'm still number eight. You're still alive. <laughs> yes, I was number eight. What happened to me? Yeah, no, uh, I'm number eight. And uh, it's funny you say that because I just remember you, you just made me flashback to just some embarrassing moments with my dad, you know, kicking my sister's boyfriends out of the house. <laughs> I was like, I was like... <laughs> or I just remember my dad's eyeballs rolling when, you know, um, you know, it's like when, when they would come over for dinner, you know, oh, is he coming for dinner? Oh, God, another freeloader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs>
0: So now, now I mean, so you guys were all playing music, and I know eventually you you started a band?
1: Yeah, uh, we, we had a band. Uh, it, just, you know, just to let you know, my, my full name, I'm not sure you know this, is Michael Damien Weir. And uh, so I, the band was called The Weirs, The Weir Family. Um, and so we had all these different names. Uh, the Weirs Caravan. We kept we kept trying to change the name to, to hopefully you know when, when when we didn't get a break at with this title we, we changed our name to hopefully get a break right you know, so we kept changing the the name a little bit but but um, yeah we all played together for many years we played in uh, in San Diego at clubs Marine bases weddings bar mitzvahs uh, then we we were because we, that's where we're from we were from the San Diego area and then. Uh, We moved to Los Angeles and started, you know, to be really taken serious. We started playing at the Troubadour, the Starwood, the Roxy, the Whiskey and Go-Go.
0: So you guys were playing like, you know, all the cool places. I mean, you were really, you were really submersed in that, in that rock scene that was so big at that time.
1: Oh, yeah. We were like, we were, I think, every month at Madame Wong's. I don't know if you remember that place. That was like a really happening place. Uh, For those that don't know, the Troubadour is where... Uh, Elton John first played, Billy Joel first played, uh, you know, there, there's some amazing iconic places, the, the Roxy, the Starwood, Starwood unfortunately is no longer in LA. But, um, so we, we were, we were playing all these clubs and trying to, you know, get the record companies out to see us. And, uh, we had a great following and, uh, they always showed up. It was pretty amazing, played a lot of colleges and, uh. Had some records that came out, um, you know, uh, that's sort of, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but that's kind of how I was able to get a break was we were performing. Um, I'm going to forget it. We were performing in uh, Portland and I remember stopping at a, at a uh, we were getting gas for our 40 line van right. and uh, I saw all those Tiger Beat magazines on the newsstand. And I was like, "Oh well, these these guys are my age, you know, Ralph Macchio, Leif Garrett, you know, the, 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 those guys were, were
0: me. I was on it, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, you were on you were plastered on the cover. It's so, um, you know, Donnie Osmond and everybody. I was like, I was like, man, oops, sorry about that. That's all right. My uh, my, uh, I apologize. My my messaging system is going through my laptop, and I actually.
0: I, I was thinking you just held up a Tiger Beat magazine and your tooth glistened. That's what it I did.
1: Was, I should have said that. <laughs> I'm not that nitty, but, I'm, but you are. So to make a long story even longer, um, I see in the magazine. I, I take the magazine. I go get in the van because we have hours and hours of driving, you know, to all these different places. And I see, you know, right to Tiger Beat magazine, uh, and I see this, you know, a new face to love and all these different things. So um, I concocted this idea that. I'd write a letter to Tiger Beat Magazine uh, from my manager, which I, I deemed my brother. And Larry, my brother, became my manager. And we wrote a letter and sent a photo, and we just happened to be playing at the Troubadour in about three weeks from that time. And we invited Tiger Beat Magazine to come to the show. And my brother's signing about to sign, and I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh, you can't sign. I have to change my name because they're going to think you're my brother or my dad or something, you know? So I'll just use my first and middle name, Michael Damien. You signed Larry, Ware, manager. And so we send the letter off and don't hear anything. And Troubadour happens, kind of forgot all about it and, uh, did the gig. Gig was awesome. About three or four weeks later, I get a call or an email or not an email. It was a phone call because there was no emails back then. And, uh, they said, um, We'd like to have a talk with, you know, with you. This is, uh, I'm the editor of Tiger Beat Magazine, and you're going to be featured next month in the magazine. And I was like, what? Yeah, we came to the Troubadour and shot photos of you. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So I had no idea. And they said, can we speak to Larry Weir, your manager? And I'm like, uh, said, <laughs> yes. Oh, it is Michael Damien there. I'm like, uh, you, know, you know when you're kind of trying to remember everything? And you're yeah, trying to
0: remember yeah the- <laughs> you're caught in that lie, but you're not like, exactly... Like, sure um, what part you bullshitted and what part you didn't
1: well i'm so glad like my sister didn't you know answer and go you mean mike we're <laughs> you know and so uh yeah he's, he's in the bathroom you know so uh anyway that was and then they called me in and i did an interview with them uh ran you know ran the uh you know full page full centerfold you know new face to love in tiger beat magazine and uh that's when um, I was able to get uh, some leverage with uh, a song, and then Dick Clark had me on American Bandstand, and I was able to perform uh, my first single on that show called She Did It, written by Eric Carmen.
0: What is that like? You know, we think about it because, you know, I have a background in comedy, and when comics did The Tonight Show with Carson back in the day, it was it was groundbreaking. American Bandstand was such a popular show, and, you know, we we've come to a point now where, you know, Videos aren't as popular, but it must have really just been so exciting for you because you go from Tiger Beat to being on a legendary show. It just must have opened up a bunch of doors.
1: Oh, absolutely! It was. It was. You know, I mean, I watched. You know, on a bandstand, bandstand, we're gonna rock it. You know, so I was like, I was, I was in love with that show and the song, and and Dick Clark was so nice and um, had me on there. And what's really cool is uh, because of that performance, and this is how strange and wonderful things happen, the producers of Young and the Restless saw me on American Bandstand and came up with the idea of writing a character that was a singer, waiter, trying to make it in the music business. And that's when they reached out to me and said, you know, have you ever acted before? And of course... When somebody asks you, say yes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say no. Uh, I'm acting right now. Uh, And so, you know, of course I act, you know. So um, that's kind of how that all happened. And then I was, you know, because of the American Bandstand, that's how The Young and the Restless first uh, saw me. And uh, I came on the show to uh, play Danny Romilotti for three months. And that turned into... Oh, you know, about 20 years.
0: Well, you know, it's amazing because, you know, when I talk to people about actors, you know, you didn't have an acting background. And they say, like, if you start off and you go on a soap, it's so hard because you have to learn so much. It's not like, hey, take three, take four. It's like, I mean, someone who doesn't have the acting background going into a set like that that it's very tight and it's very quick 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 let's do this I mean how did you adapt to that I mean we must have been a little bit nervous sitting there going okay uh, I got to do how many lines
1: well it's funny you say that because uh, I did the first the first day and it was like nope it was so much fun it was so easy squeezy I was like this is this is this is amazing you know And then I get back, I get into my dressing room and I go in there and there's four scripts sitting on the coffee table. And I'm like, what's this? And and I look, it's for tomorrow, you know, eight pages, nine pages, you know, Wednesday, 12 pages, Thursday, 18 pages. You know what I mean? I went, oh my gosh. Okay. I I, I wasn't prepared for that, Uh, you know, and that kind of memorization, because uh, this show does... They shoot almost like a live show, you know. It's not like single camera, uh, uh, you know, film style. This is multi camera. It's it's like they're shooting a live show. So you have to know everything and know your know your dialogue. Then you learn your blocking and where to go and all the mechanics. But um, I was not prepared for the uh, massive amount of memorization, which uh, that something that, you know, I had to, I had to learn really quick. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, after a few weeks, I was, you know, what you do is the minute you're done with that show, that episode that day, you just hit delete in your brain. And then you start memorizing, you know, Tuesday's show. And then don't worry about, you can't really think about Monday's show or Tuesday's show, you got to just keep moving forward. uh, Because the dialogue is, you know, there's so much dialogue, and and not just dialogue. You gotta learn the, you gotta understand and memorize the um, stage direction because you gotta. There's a lot of things in there that are important that that uh, help you, you know, perform the role. So, um, you know, I was 17, and uh, it was just, uh, you know, I was eager to learn, and. Uh, very fortunate and got an amazingly incredible break that uh, I will never forget.
0: Now, how does it change from being on three months? Because I always heard soaps are like that. It's like a three-month trial or, or whatever. Now, I mean, as a young kid and you sit there and you're just on Bandstand, you have this, you have this great break. And you think, you know, you're probably going, going, yeah, it'll be three months, but this is cool. You know, I can do my singing and this is a good venue. It gives me popularity. How did you know that they were going to keep you longer? Was, was your character just growing up, just like blowing up? I mean, what did they sit there? Did they say, I mean, I know you were involved with Cricket. I mean, I don't know if it was a love story, but I mean, what made them to sit there and go, okay, we want this character. And why do you think he had such longevity?
1: Well, the character, it, 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 the character exploded that summer and it was, it was huge. And um, the ratings were, you know, through the roof. And so they, uh, you know, they extended it and was so great because this was like the first time, you know, a singer is actually performing and singing on the show and, you know, nobody had been doing that. And so, uh, it was revolutionary and I would never forget my character had fantasies that he'd become a rock star. So we shot this full rock star concert event situation with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of screaming girls and. I'll never forget, we shot that on the Price is Right stage with, you know, the theater with the, with the grandstands. Yeah. And so, yeah, we <laughs> shot it there. They had the smoke machines and the, 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 very lights and you know what I mean? The band on stage. And, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, no, it was really, it, it was one of those things where it just, it just, it took off that summer.
0: You know, I always think like, you know, you, you're on this popular show, your couch is very popular you're a good-looking guy. Could you imagine if the internet was around back then? I mean, you. I mean, just could you imagine you would probably getting be bombarded. I mean, I'm sure you got a ton of fan mail, but you probably would been getting so much email and Facebook and Twitter messages. It would've, probably would have been insane.
1: <laughs> it was. You're, you're so right about. First of all, that's kind of a crazy. Just to try to fantasize about that. I mean, we had to. You know, everything was snail mail and uh you're right i mean you could reach out to the world uh at such an accelerated rate nowadays it's incredible uh the accessibility and and how you can promote yourself where back then you only had uh you had limited opportunity which would be either television radio or film you know in a theater. And back then, there were not that many channels. A, you know, you just your main three channels and some local networks, lo- local stations, I mean. So, you know, um, so much has changed. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I, it's incredible that, you know, what, what you can do in, the, in this day and age. Yeah, you got to
0: tell me, I mean, how many times did you get mobbed? Because I always yeah. said, that, you know, I mean, it must have been, because as I say, soap opera fans are like a lot like Star Trek fans, except soap opera fans are usually of the female persuasion, and I mean, what was it? Could you walk down the street? I mean, because, you know, it's something that, you know, you the soap opera, you're this heartthrob. I mean, what is it like for you to sit there at the time? I mean, were people just flock, flocking to you?
1: <laughs> it was pretty, well, it was, it was crazy. I mean, you know, because you had, because I was plastered on all the teen magazines, Young and the Restless is the number one show. Uh, then I had you know, uh, you know, hit record. Um, so it was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was really wild. I'll never forget, we had some big concerts. I remember in Toronto, uh, <laughs> just, it got out of control. Uh, you know, riot squads came in, it was pretty, it was, <laughs> you know, some woman gave birth, you know, it was just, it was all like, it was all
0: now now how did you know you're you're on you're on the show now how did this song rock on come
1: about uh well you know i had i had uh i don't know if you know this i had two albums out in right. Canada and in europe before uh, the u.s and i was on cbs records in canada so i had a bunch of music out in canada and uh then um <clears throat> then i got uh then i had my album out in the u.s finally but it you know it took it took some time uh and uh when I was recording the album for the u s um I just um that song was my favorite song uh growing up it meant a lot to me. it was sort of my anthem okay uh, I, I was very unpopular i was uh you know I had no girlfriends, I was awkward, I came from a giant, huge family, and you know we were sort of like kind of gypsy you know, hippie gypsy musicians, you know what I mean? It was really, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy. So, uh, we certainly didn't fit in. I certainly didn't fit in. And so I found that song to be sort of a, sort of an anthem for me. And so I thought, wow, you know, it'd be really cool. I think that a lot of people, you know, especially younger people have never heard this song before. It's a great song. And so thank you. Yeah. No, I think, I think mean, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I love it. And David Essex is awesome. And, one of the great things about it is that I was able to get to meet him and he came to LA, we had dinner. He was in my, uh, follow up music video, um, cover of love. He played a little cameo in it. And so, um, that's pretty exciting times. And, uh, and it, again, it sparked so many things. I did a huge, you know, worldwide tour. Um, I was basically, so I shot young and the restless Monday through Thursday, And jumped on a plane and I played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, flew back Sunday night. And then um, back on you. and the rest is Monday morning. How,
0: you know, just the balancing of that. How did you balance it for the fact that, you know, you're acting, which is great, but then you're coming from playing these big concerts. And it must be, you know, that adrenaline, that high. I mean, how did you bring yourself back down to get in front of the soundstage because you're also, you're young. You're not, you're not, you know, I mean, you must have, your your mind must have been spinning all
1: the time. Well, I I was so, you got to remember, I wanted it so bad. I mean, I was like, just, I prayed and prayed and just like I did, I was like, I wanted, I wanted that break so bad. You know what I mean? And not just for me, but I wanted it for my family too, because I work with my family and, they they played on all my tours with me. They produced records with me. We opened a recording studio together. You know what I mean? It was really a uh, someone had to make it from the family. You know what I mean? It was one of those things where somebody's got to have somebody's got to have you know something's got to something's got to give. We got to get a break. And so um, I was just you know I was just really lucky that it was that I was the one to to have that break. And so um, to answer your question, uh, I remember I just did a lot of sleeping on airplanes. Okay. So that was one thing. That's where I caught up on my sleep. And I thought it was a good, I thought it was a nice contrast because all the chaos and all the craziness on the weekends. And then there was this, you know, very quiet soundstage where there's silence most of the time. You know what I mean? So you had a nice, sort of a nice break.
0: Now, did you need bodyguards? Just please tell me you need a bodyguard.
1: Oh, yeah. All the time. (laughs)
0: What was that like? I mean, I mean, people can't comprehend what is that like. Like, everyone goes, "Oh yeah, I want to be this big star." But when you have bodyguards around you, must I mean, do you try to just act normal, or do you always sit there and go, "Oh, there's someone uh, watching me"?
1: No, the bodyguards. I, I was. I look. I had a rule with them. They were to always, always, always be nice to the fans. I don't care how pushy they got. I don't care how whatever the situation was they were to always treat them. In fact, I got really upset a few times when they were not nice to the fans, you know what I mean? And sh- shoving them or, you know, scolding them. I was like, no, 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 you just do it. You know, I don't, I don't ever want these, if it weren't for these fans, I'd be nowhere. Right. So, right. um, they are the top priority. Uh, just, you know, keep me alive and, <laughs> and be nice to them always. So, yeah, we had it in the contract where everywhere I went, um, you know we had the, the bodyguards and and uh, you know it it's it's necess- it's a necessity um you know so uh, but the fans were great I mean they were they were amazing I mean they you know all they want to do is get close get an autograph or a hug or something it's not like you know they're not they don't want to try anything crazy that only happened a couple of times yeah I,
0: I, I was gonna say was there was there any times that you were actually like something happened where you were scared I mean like like holy crap oh, stuff's yeah. gonna happen
1: well. In Toronto. When that when that event got out of control, they were expecting. I Think like they were expecting fifteen hundred, and I think about six thousand showed up for the for the for the event, and they weren't prepared for it. And that's where the that's where when I was leaving the event, all the fire trucks and and riot police and all this are pulling up to the to the uh, to the Eden Center, <laughs> and I'm leaving because it was over. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> But uh, you know uh, that was crazy. Uh, they didn't have enough security for it. Nobody, you know, it just depends if they're if we're caught off guard with the amount of people that show up. Um, uh, I'll never forget. I took my then my girlfriend, my wife, now Janine, to uh, a big fire Fourth of the July concert, and I said, you know, um, I kind of warned her about. Uh, I can't remember what I said to her. Anyway, whatever it was. I had this this shirt that her favorite like she loved this shirt that I had I I was wearing to the concert and I'll never forget I went down to the front and they literally you know grabbed my sleeves and then tore the sleeves off of it (laughs) and I'll never forget Janine saying I am so mad that shirt is my favorite shirt I can't believe they shredded that shirt she was so I I don't know if she gave it to me I think she must have because she was really upset about that she you know, she loved the fans, but that was that was the only time that she was bummed out was when they see that
0: shirt. Your your wife's mad that they ripped the shirt. No, my I find out my girlfriend, Joanne, if I sit there, if, if I have a sock with a hole in it, she always oh. throws it away. And I'm like, it's a fun, it's a good sock. She's like, there's a hole in it. So it's just <laughs> the clothing I,
1: thing. Listen, you know what? She's a smart woman. Listen to her because <laughs> um, I have a, a story, a sock story that when I was in – Monte Carlo with, uh, with Janine, we were there for some big event uh, fundraiser on a yacht. And I wore, I was, we were getting dressed, and I had a sock with a hole in it. And she's <laughs> like, you're not going to wear those socks. I go, yes, I'm going to wear these socks. What are they? You're going to take my shoe off and look at my toe? So we go, we, we go to the, the party, two bodyguards at the, uh, at the uh, entrance, to the yacht and what do they say sir please remove your shoes (laughs) they have these beautiful beautiful uh uh, cases where you set your shoes in that are lined and everything it's very elegant but you had to take your shoes off i'm like no 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 really he's like uh sir you're not getting on the boat unless you take off your shoes that's funny it's teak wood and you can't wear your shoes and so i took it off and guess what so i had to do the old flip around you don't talk about oh yes i did the flip around but um, anyway, I, I learned a lesson then. Always listen to your girlfriend or your wife about the socks. Okay. Do not wear holy socks because you won't, could get
0: caught. I won't let Joanne listen to this episode. Um, Tell her <laughs> no. she's brilliant. Um, now, I got to ask you. So all this is going on, you know, yeah. and, then, and then all of a sudden, now, how does Broadway come about? I mean, because, you know, you, you have so much going on. And as Broadway is an actor's dream, how did that come about?
1: Well, um, I was doing Young and the Restless, and I was also uh, actually uh, recording a, an album, and I got a call from uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's company, and they said, uh, Mr. Lloyd Webber, Webber would like to, Sir, Sir Andrew Lloyd would like to meet with you, <laughs> and so I was like, really? <laughs> well, tell him I'm busy. No, I, I, I thought they were <laughs> joking, you know what I mean? I, I thought it was kind of a joke, right? I was like, well, I'm busy, and they're like, no, this is... Really? Like, was this serious? Yes. Okay, well then, oh my gosh, of course, I'd love to meet with him. So, um, I went over to meet him at the Beller Hotel, and he said, um, I'd like you to play Joseph uh, on Broadway. And I was, you know, humbled, blown away. And uh, so, you know, I had this dream opportunity, but the problem was, um, I was under contract with the young and the restless to shoot in LA and the show and Broadway is, you know, of course, New York. So, um, so never forget this. I said, well, you know, the only way I could do this would be if you open the show in LA and my contracts over in, you know, a year and then, you know, I could do, uh, I could do New York. So they were like, I didn't hear anything for about a week and they called back and said, okay, we're gonna do it, we're gonna open in LA. And so there. therefore, I could do the show because I would shoot in the day, right? Uh, and then I would just jump in my car at five o'clock, get to the Pantages Theater and start the show by seven. So, um, so that's what I did for about eight months and then we went from there. The theater was still not ready in New York and so then we did San Francisco and I flew back and forth from the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco, we were there for about four months. So uh, I flew back and forth from San Francisco to uh, LA. Shot, you know, Young and the Restless, and you know, jumped on a plane, did the same thing, and uh, and then uh, I was able to go to New York and perform. You know, then that, that when I got to New York, I didn't fly back and forth. I did, I just did a solid, you know, a solid year there.
0: What is the feeling of being on Broadway? A friend of mine was in the Phantom of the Opera, and he said it was just amazing. And he ended up being the Phantom when it came out to pantages and and. Oh my you know, gosh! Who is, the, who is
1: that? His name's uh,
0: his name's uh, Tim Gleason. Oh wow, uh, that's
1: that's one of my favorite shows. Just, well, you know, he, to he you. well,
0: he said when he was in Vegas, it was it was tough because it was so many shows a night. I mean, it was shows every night, and you really couldn't go out because it's such a demanding role. I mean, and but being on Broadway, you know, just that feel. I mean, what's the feel when you see... It's not like you're... It's like when you... It's not like you were in the background of Broadway. You were the star. I mean, what is that like? What is that just that high, that creative high when you hit the stage, when you see all these people lined up? I mean, it's different than concerts. It's different than TV because it's Broadway.
1: Oh, you, you know, you're so right. I mean, it's really the... Uh it's the, the, the ultimate. It's the ultimate uh, platform in the entertainment business. And it's the ultimate honor to be on Broadway. And, um, you know, it's, I'll never forget, it's pretty incredible. I, I just never forget driving um, to the theater. You know, you see, of course, the Billboard, uh, the Minsk Theater in Times Square. And then, of course, a double-decker bus rolls by with, you know, Joseph and me on the, you know, on the bus, double, you know, two-story tall. And and that was like, whoa. And then uh even a greater, you know, honor, uh, opening night, Andrew Lloyd Weber gave me a uh, do you remember the Hirschfelds? Have you seen the you know the Hirschfelds, right? The, yeah. The so Hirschfeld did an amazing elaborate uh drawing and so Andrew gave me the uh the original uh of that opening night and i I have that in my office and it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And so That whole, and then stepping out on the stage, you know, was just, uh, was surreal. And uh, I just, you know, I'll never forget it. I'm humbled and I have such great respect for Broadway performers. It's an amazing commitment. It's a very tough schedule. And uh, I understand what your friend said about not going out because I didn't go out ever. Uh, Back then, you know, you could smoke inside. I'm allergic to smoke. Okay. okay. And uh, so, I never went out because I just you, you're in a loud place. You're talking loud. You can't. You just can't. You know, your your voice is your your instrument, and you have to protect it. And so, between working out in the gym because I wore a loincloth and and <laughs> and yeah, that was another one. Well, that was a shock. Okay, that one. That costume fitting was. That was. I'll never forget that moment. You know, that's when I. That's when I had to go into some serious cardio and sit-ups you know so uh, but uh, you know it was just it was so worth it you know it was worth all the sacrifices all the, the hard work and it was a it was a dream come true
0: so you're doing Broadway you sing you act when did you make your foray into direction? Because I want to talk about high strong, but I want to know how you hold did that whole transition because your career is going on and it's a matter of, was it something, what made you get interested in directing and even writing? I mean, I know you, the songs you probably wrote, but what made you try to think, I mean, you, you have all this stuff going on and, you know, you're still, you're still doing Young and Restless. You know, you're, you're constantly working. When did you decide you wanted to start writing and directing?
1: Well, I, it was actually in New York when we were, uh, when I was doing Joseph, believe it or not because uh, uh, Janine, you know, my, my wife, uh, we start, we, I just, we wanted to, I said, look, I think we need to, I would, I would get all these scripts sent to me as an actor, and they just, I just nothing, I, I didn't respond to any of them, and it just, I didn't see anything really that phenomenal and that great to really, you know, to do and, and put my name on it, and and, and book out from either the show or for, for, for you know what I mean, to, to stop doing whatever I was doing to make a movie. It just, there was nothing that was that great offered to me. So um, so I said, look, let's start working on some stuff, and I want to write something with you. And I have some ideas, and, and, and she had ideas, and so we started writing together, and that's sort of when it all began. And I, though, I was studying directing, I started... Um, I've always been interested and always been uh, a big fan of directors and followed their work.
0: And who are some of your favorite directors?
1: Um, well, I, number one, I would say Frank Capra was one of my top, one of my, is one of my top favorite directors, Frank Capra, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. I love George Lucas. Uh, of course, Spielberg. Um, you know, uh, those are some of my, those are some of my favorites. And um Of course, I love. uh, Gosh, I could go on and on and on, you know. Um, But uh, I just be—I'm a big fan, and so I started studying. I learned cinematography. I bought two Airflex film cameras. Started shooting. You know, I I wanted to learn everything. Not that I, I wanted to be a DP, but I wanted to learn. I wanted to know what I was talking about. So I started shooting, editing, processing the film. This is all while I'm doing all these other things. This was just sort of my, my my mini little preparation for for what's to come and I would go to the camera equipment rental places and I'd pick their brains um, you know they're like, man don't you aren't you supposed to be on stage somewhere right now? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm like, yeah yeah, I got another 10 minutes you know what I mean And uh, I just you know I, I wanted to learn you know everything there was to, to that I could learn about directing and read, studied, uh, watched, observed, and worked with some incredible people. And so um, that's when I, and I shot a short film called Finder's Keepers that I wrote, uh, Wittgenin directed, p- produced it, budgeted it, did everything, all, all aspects, you know what I mean? I wanted to learn everything, the full, the full circle, the full wheel. And uh, then we uh, um, had a great opportunity when we moved to France. Uh, I, don't know if I, I don't know if you know, we lived in France for three years.
0: How did you end up going to France?
1: Well, The Young and the Restless was, is like the most popular show in France. It's bigger than primetime shows. It's just enormous. And I got so many requests to do stuff in France that um, we started talking with TF1 and they, we, we, we came up with this idea to develop a TV series uh, in France, shot in English and in French. And so that's when we went over there and we created this pilot called Red Eye. And Janine and I wrote it, produced it, and I and then what happened was we were trying to get a famous director to do the to, to shoot the pilot. And because of our budget, because of all kinds of the you know, the timing and everything, we couldn't find a director and uh, our producer partner our producing partners, you know, because I was a star of the movie the star of the series, I really, you know, I I, I took myself out of the running as director, but they uh, after seeing how many different, you know, meetings and 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 how we were pitching the project to the studios or to the networks and whatnot, that they just felt that I should direct it. So um, so I ended up directing the pilot, and that's that was the that, that was the real the real initiation into directing.
0: Well, and I think it's funny as you know we all you know y'all you talk about someone who gets a chance at directing. But then for you, you get this chance for directing and you're directing yourself, which is just a whole nother aspect you got to deal with.
1: <laughs> I learned not to ever do that again. <laughs> it's because look, if you just look at, I, I I love it, don't get me wrong, but if you look at time management, it's not advisable. Because if you think about how much time you have to spend in hair and makeup, and you know with my hair.
0: Bro, yeah. Well, your hair—I know mean, you're one of those guys who probably just wakes up and it looks great.
1: No, 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 no. I got to go through there's stages. I got to do a whole <laughs> prep. I got to There's so much stuff to do. It's crazy, uh, you know. But just the time of, of hair and makeup, uh, studying dialogue—it's just it, for me. It was I, I now you know in retrospect I see that really like even when I like for instance I did a cameo in in uh, High Strung, and I literally had just you know, a small role, but that was distracting for me as a director. Like I, I, I was like, I didn't want to leave the video tap watching what was going on. And you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, it was really, it, it was a great experience and, um, you know, but directing myself in a full feature is that would be, yeah, I don't know how people do it. I, I take my hat off to them. I know Mel Gibson has done it incredibly well with, uh, uh Braveheart.
0: Oh yeah, and Clint, Clint does it, and Woody Allen did it. It's like God, it's amazing.
1: Clint is bad guy is just he's he, I don't know how he does it. He's amazing. You're right. So, but yeah, but but we've done now uh, thirteen movies, and uh, you know we've uh, it's been it's been incredible. It's been an incredible ride.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about some movies, but I want to talk about your, your the new movie High Strong.
1: Okay, great. I'd love to
0: talk about now it. now. It's a it's a it's a it's a very cool concept. Now it's you know I saw like you've done some holiday movies and some movies with pets. Which hey, how you direct pets? I give you credit because I heard I have a friend who directed a movie with tried to get pets, and he said they're hard to direct because they don't Not listen. That. But I mean, no, tell me, no, how did how did how did, how did High Strung, first of all tell the listeners what High Strung's about because it's a very cool concept. It's a very you know it, it's. It sort of reminds me of like the genre of fame. Just when you read the, the log line,
1: well, yeah, I, I, you know, I could definitely see the, the the parallel there because well, Highstrung is basically Highstrung is a midwestern ballerina who comes to New York to pursue pursue her dream uh, at this incredible conservatory that she has this a scholarship to, and she encounters a brooding hip hop violinist who's busking in the subways in New York and they have this amazing chemistry and this amazing connection uh they team up with a hip-hop dance crew and how these three different worlds uh come together to compete in a competition that could change their lives forever and it's a story of uh of hope it's a story of pursuing your dreams it's a story uh it's a love story and it's a story that we hope will inspire young people and people of all ages to to work hard and uh That you do have an opportunity and you can make it if you put in the hard work and effort and believe.
0: Now, you write with your wife. Yes. Whose idea was it and where did you get the idea and was it based on someone you know because it is, you know, I mean, how often do you think of a a hip-hop violinist? You don't. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's something that there's people out there, but how did you come up with the idea and then how did you start the whole writing process?
1: Well... Janine and I, Janine has been bugging me about this project for seven years, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> when I say bugging me, she wasn't bugging me. What it was, is we were making the Flickr Horse franchise for Fox, and that took, you know, that took about three years. And, you know, we were working with horses, then we got the Marley and Me prequel, which is now working with dogs. And so another couple years went by, and so we were... But we kept talking about this project that we wanted to do a dance music fusion, uh, something that brings those two, two brings our two passions and our two uh, careers together in in a that we that we know and love and we've experienced and we could you know share what we've gone through in our lives and 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 put those things and infuse them into a story, and so uh, what it is is Janine. Um, got a scholarship at 15 when she was living in Mississippi to the the school of American ballet theater in New York. And it's, you know, Balanchine's company. It's one of the, one of the highest honors. And she, it was her, her journey uh, coming from a little town, you know, Jackson, Mississippi to New York, what it was like for her to pursue her dream there. And it was in the Juilliard building. There were a lot of violinists and there was uh, a couple of them would busk on the weekends and make extra money and she was telling me about this, and I come from the music world, and so, as you know, and so we we really wanted to make a movie of our two passions, dance and music. And that's kind of how, it, that's the genesis.
0: Now, how long did a script take you to write? Because, I mean, it's something that, as I said, when it's both, this is a show, I mean, it's something that's more personal to you guys. I mean, you know, there's different movies you can write, but when something's this personal and it's close to your heart, it must be hard to write for the fact that you're sort of bearing your soul. I mean, it's not your life story, but you're sort of really bearing your soul and your passions. I mean, would you guys bump heads when you were writing it? Or would you sit there and go, you know, I mean, how how do you guys write together? Do you both sit down? Or do you write something and then she writes something and you put it together? How did you come up with the whole script? And how long did it take you to write?
1: Um, it took us about six months to write it. And what we do is, Janine's on the computer, I pace around the room. Okay <laughs> and we we do the dialogue back and forth and we write dialogue and it just it kind of there's this really amazing organic you know uh, I don't you could say it's a tennis match, but it's really not a match it's sort of a it's this really har- harmonious uh, uh, atmosphere and what it is is like for instance, I'll give you I'll give you an example of, of how the dialogue would just flow for instance, uh, not to give away too much of the movie, but there's a scene where Ruby's mother drops her off in front of the school with with the taxi out front running and Janine had that exact experience with her mom in New York City when okay. her mom dropped her off and I just said Janine so tell me about it tell me what tell me what happened and she started you know what I mean she's like well I remember my mom saying I'm so proud of you and this is everything you wanted everything you dreamt of and you worked hard for and and you know just all, the, the experience and then before you know it by the end of the day we've got a five and a half page scene that is written from an actual experience. And, you know, she recalled a lot of, you know, the dialogue or the, you know, the conversations she had with her mom. So, um, it is personal, but, you know, a great, a great writer once said, write what you know, and this is something that we, that we, we know about. And this was, you know, a a real life situation. And, you know, and then, What's really cool about the writing process for us is that we really work for the characters. Once once we create the characters, they just start telling us what to do. Okay, and we just really try to stay out of their way and just do what we're told. I know that might sound odd, but
0: no, i I've, I've written before. I know I know you know uh, you know I know exactly what you're saying because once it's like anything, once the character you if you have a story idea in your head and you have an outline. Yeah, the characters are, are gonna command the story because when you think about it, when you watch a movie, we remember good characters and good dialogue, and that's the thing. I think it is the process where when you write, it creates itself.
1: Yeah, it really does. It's really an amazing experience that it just it, this you go into this world and you and you understand it because because you're right and it's really exciting. And it's really a fun world to go into, and uh, sometimes you have to pull yourself out of it to, to like stop working that day you know it's not like we go oh okay you know punch the clock we're done we literally have to like okay we have to stop no we have to have dinner it's okay no no let me just write this no 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 we gotta like you know what I mean
0: they always they always <laughs> say about writers they always say you know when you sit there you'll, you'll take 30 minutes to clean your desk you'll do anything to sit and put your ass in that seat but once you put your ass in the seat you don't want to get up
1: exactly and You know, I don't know if you do this, but uh, what I, what I, what I always recommend and I always tell Janine, you know, we don't do it. We don't, we don't go back like the next day. We do not go back and rewrite the scene from the day before.
0: Someone told me, yeah, someone told me that because, because I think what happens is when you do that, you're always going to find something wrong, especially for you when you're writing this movie that's very personal to you guys. There's always going to be something wrong, but you're never going to get past page two if you constantly go back. You just got to say, let's plow through it. That's what drafts are for.
1: Yeah, get, that's what I would say, get to the end. Get to the end. You, you're going to know so much more. The characters are going to be so, you know, well-developed by then and, and also in your mind, and you're going to just have, you, you'll go on the journey, then go back, and then and then read it, you know, fresh from the beginning, but I always like to try to push forward and, and try not to go backwards. It's really, uh, for us, I think it's, it's, it's a, better psyche. You know, I know a lot of people are saying, you know, like, well, I go back. I go, oh, don't go back. <laughs> right. Don't go back. And, and, you know, unfortunately, they haven't finished the script yet. I go, well, what's going on? I'm like, well, it's been two years. You got, well, you, got you just got to
0: finish it. You got to finish a draft, then you go back.
1: It. You can, you're never going to, you know, always, always complete what you start. Um, that's something my dad taught me um, at a very young age. And uh, I really, I'm so grateful that he, both of my parents have taught me that. They've said, you've got to complete everything you start. It doesn't matter what it is, get it done, you know, otherwise you're not gonna be able to move on. And so that's what I try to, I try to always live by that. Um, you know, that's why, you know, make sure my room's always clean. My drawer is <laughs> <drawer's> clean, <laughs> car is clean, you know?
0: Now, uh, now when you finish writing the script, yeah. Now what do you do with it? I mean, do you sit there? You to. I mean, you, you sit there. You know, you're going to direct. I mean, you've attached yourself to direct it. But now, yeah. where do you go? And then, are you involved in the casting process?
1: Oh yeah, we're involved in every aspect. From well, from, from every single decision. Uh, you know, of course, you once you build your team up. You know, but that's a little bit down the line, uh, production. But first off, you know, you send it out to the. Uh, you know, you send it out to the. Uh, to the studios or to production companies that have studio deals and um, with High Strung um, we did send it out and our agents sent it out and you know we got sort of the same reaction was oh it's great but it needs to be edgier and racier and it's too soft and we're like well we want all ages to see this movie They're like well you know but it's gotta be you know we don't wanna you know we don't want a PG-13 or R rated movie they're, they're usually pushing for an R and so because this movie we want to really inspire young people right and, um, and it's just we did not want to change the characters and, and you know uh, and edge them up and put in a lot of dialogue you know a lot of uh, foul dialogue just to up the rating you know it just that's not who we are and so uh, we had to uh, make it independently that's pretty much you know how we had to do it and it was so grateful we did and uh, because if you could hear and see the reactions we've gotten from thousands and thousands of kids and parents all over you know you know thank you for making this and I'm you know I got to, I got got to see a movie with my kid and it was <laughs> you know what I mean and or my I brought my mom you know it could be a person my age that brought their mom or somebody to see the movie and and or dad and they, they really had a great time and so uh, it really means a lot to us that these people, you know, were able to have that experience. And um, that's why we had to stick with our, our gut feeling on, on how we wanted to make the movie and, and not compromise just to be cool and edgy.
0: See, that's good. I mean, you know, that's the thing. And sometimes, and I feel especially now, and I'm just, maybe this is my age, but I think people are now are trying to be, they're trying to be cool and edgy. and, and the, What they don't get is trying to be cool and edgy doesn't make you cool and edgy. Like, you know, people are cool and edgy because it's something different. I mean, it's just what I've noticed now a lot of times. I mean, it's, you know, people, I want to be cool. Like you see it on Facebook. You know, people post bad things people said about them. Like, that's cool. It's like, no, that stinks. They said something bad. (laughs) I'm mean, i like, what are you doing? I'm like, for me, it's like if I get a good guest, I brag. I don't care. I don't don't humble brag. I go, I got this person on my show. I'm not going to say, oh, this person turned me down. It's just, it's so negative
1: yeah that there's a that you're you're so right you know there's a lot there's already a tremendous amount of negative uh dysfunctional and uh you know very racy edgy stuff coming out of Hollywood already, so we don't really need you know that that's that's like well come on what's new that it's really it's just pumping out like crazy um so that's just not who we are, and you know if that's what they want to do good good for them we just we're just headed down a different path and uh, you know, I, I I'm so excited that I could, you know, have my mom at the premiere and have her walk up to me and say that she was so proud and and she loved the movie and, and uh for me, you know, that on a personal level, that was really it meant a lot. And you know, um and like I said, we we're getting we've got kids from, you know, nine years old to, you know, ninety in right. the movie. And uh you know I think it's awesome I love it you know it's you know it's sort of the crowd that we're getting sort of the crowd that sees like you said Fame or Mahama Mia or Greece or you know any of those kind of you know films um, I love that crowd I love it you know I, I'll take that I'll take this audience you know any day of the week it's basically the same audience you came to see me and Joseph you know it's really no different
0: well, and, how nervous were you the night of the premiere, like just because it's in front of people. I mean, it's it's your baby. I mean, what was going through your mind and your body when that was movie was the opening rolling credits? uh
1: it was, uh, it, it was pretty, it was pretty surreal. I got to say, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, the the premiere was was packed. It was oversold. We had two theaters at the Chinese Theater. Uh, you know, the big the one on Hollywood Boulevard. And it, and everybody showed up that we were hoping would show up, and it was really an incredible feeling. Um, you know, all I could say, all I could think of, in sitting in the theater, you know, I just would squeeze Janine's hand and thank her for um, for all her hard work and really inspiring me to to inspiring us to make this film. And we started. I started. I just had to be really grateful and humbled and honored because, you know, if I, if we hadn't done it, this night wouldn't exist. And I was like, gosh, wouldn't it be a drag if this night wasn't happening? It would be such a, it would be so, it would be so depressing to think about it. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just wanted to be grateful for, 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 there were a lot of, there were a million obstacles in a way, you know what I mean? Right. Like the the two year journey to get it to that night, there were so many obstacles that could have prevented that night and I'm just so grateful and thankful that we pushed past them found solutions prayed (laughs) a lot of wonderful people supported us um, and uh, helped us get to that night and now we have this film coming out all over the world Uh, you know just this morning I just saw the German artwork and posters and trailer for Germany they were having a huge wide release there Italy, France same thing and you know, just really, I'm so excited. We're going to be there this summer for for the international releases, and that's going to be. I, I can't wait for that as well.
0: Now, what? Um, where can people people get it on iTunes?
1: Yeah, you can get it now. Um, High Strung is available on iTunes, Amazon, uh, Fandango Now, uh, Vudu. Voodoo, um you know, somebody else. I know. Um, I think that's. Uh, I don't know. I think I left out one of them, but I can't. And on-demand. That's right. And on-demand. Yeah, so you can get it now in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and uh, and then it'll be out on DVD um, August uh, in August.
0: Now, people can find all this info where? Because I know you're... What's your Twitter, Michael?
1: Uh, my Twitter is MichaelDamian1, with okay. the number one.
0: And your Instagram?
1: Is the real Michael Damian. Okay. And that's Damian, D-A-M-I-A-N.
0: And now, did you did you give that shirt away? Uh, I heard you talking to Steve Benz about. Uh... Yes,
1: I gave the shirt away, and um, and was so funny. You got this is hilarious. For those listening, we do a bunch of contests every week. We try to do a fun party, a Twitter party or Facebook and Instagram party on, on Friday or Saturdays. Um, we gave away the shirt, and it was a, a sweet girl. Her name is Terry King. Won won the shirt, and so it's a it's a uh, you know high strung. My personal. Vintage high strung shirt or or a limited edition high strung shirt, and so I said to her, "Do you want me to have a dry clean before sending?" And she wrote back. She said, "I know this is going to sound creepy, but please send as is." So, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> so I, it's been packaged up. It's it's out it's out in the mail now. I uh, hope Terry likes it and get it. Please, Terry, don't I won't be offended if you get a dry clean immediately when you get it. So
0: that's fine. We have a few minutes left. Uh, what else is come up for you?
1: Uh, well, we're just right now um, is the big push, but I we've started writing um, High Strung Two, actually, and we're working on it as we speak.
0: And how about the music scene? You singing?
1: We're gonna we're gonna work on I'm gonna work on some music, and hopefully we'll have uh, a song in in that film. But yeah, I am definitely gonna I'm definitely I've got some ideas for for a track, so hopefully it'll be hopefully it'll be in High Strung Two.
0: Now is it is it easier to write the sequel now that you have had one under your belt? Is it is it a little easier?
1: Well, it's not that it's easier and I wouldn't really say I mean you could call it a sequel, it is a sequel but it's it's going to be different. It's going to be completely different and um I I can't wait. I can't give away too much right now, but um we're really excited about what we're going to do. You'll see some. You'll see a lot of things in high strength too, that you did not see in the first one. That's for sure.
0: And Now, do you ever perform live anymore?
1: No, I I, I haven't performed live. But I mean, you know, hey, listen, you know, I'm 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 always available for a good wedding or bar mitzvah. Just call me. <laughs> I think I think you need.
0: You know what you should do? You should uh, direct. You should direct a remake of you singing Rock On.
1: Direct the, what the music video?
0: Yeah. Of you now singing it, but with your own directing influence. That would be that would be I think a first. I don't think people direct oh. a remake of a remake of a remake.
1: That's a great idea. See, that's I what really... I'm
0: And I could I could I could I could hold the I could be the boom camera guy. I could be the boom operator.
1: And we'll change the lyrics of the song, maybe you know, hey Steve, rock and roll, the, rock on. See
0: Cooper talk rock on. See that that would be my <laughs> new theme
1: song. Oh, Oh, as see. hey, Cooper, talk rock and roll, rock on. See that?
0: Okay. And I got, I got one more question for you. Hit me before we wrap up. Back in the day, because I used to have hair. Did yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. did you use in the eighties? Did you use? Remember the ten X, ten X was that green gel? What did you use in your hair? Uh,
1: I used Paul Mitchell mousse uh, and uh, Paul Mitchell probably, I think, hairspray. And um, there was one other product. I, I had several. I had several concoctions. I had to do quite a few things. I put in there. It was. It was I could have. I could have easily gone up in flames if anybody, you know, a <laughs> match near me. It could have. It could have gotten ugly. Seriously.
0: Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Once again, going to give your Twitter and your Instagram?
1: Um, oh yeah. So it's uh, Michael Damian One, and that's my Twitter. And the real Michael Damian is my Instagram. But I'd also love for you to visit us at High Strung the Movie. And you can go to highstrungthemovie.com if you want to go to our website. Uh, or High Strung The Movie is our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we'd love to have you join us and follow us. And hope you enjoy the movie. Let me know what you think. I'd, I, I'd love to get the reaction. You haven't seen it yet, have you?
0: I will, though. Wait, so people, so go check it out. And go watch High Strung. I'm going to watch High Strung. Also, people, follow me on Twitter. It's at CooperTalk. That's at CooperTalk. Uh, Instagram, CooperTalk1. That's my, uh, my little Cooper Talk one because someone had Cooper Talk. Uh, my website is coopertalk.net. I have 512 episodes up there. You can also reach me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Uh, I'm doing a stand-up show Tuesday, June 14th. I do a show every three months. It'll be at Flappers at the Yoohoo Room. Two buck Tuesdays to get in. It's a 730 show. Do that. Also, I'm gonna join SAG because I played some hand model stuff and some other stuff. So if you want to join and you like the show, I have a bunch of gift packages. If you go to gofundmecom Talk, I have my autograph book, I have a bunch of things, and yeah, about my book. You know, I remember it was it was four years ago. I was in the, about this time. I, was, I went to the hospital with my heart problem. Well, you know, I changed my diet. Go to StopTheSalt.com. It's my low sodium cookbook. Uh, it's 120 recipes, 120 easy to make recipes. No pictures intimidate you. It's very informative. It helps you eat. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Amazon. But if you get it at StopTheSalt.com, I will sign it for you, and I make more money. So anyway, people, please go follow Michael Damian. Check him out. Check out High Strung the Movie. Follow me at CooperTalk. Email me, Cooper, at CooperTalk.net. Tell me who you want on the show, because I'm always hustling for guests. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.